<laughs> she might buy with um Canto six chapter twelve verse twenty three. Okay. So Sukadeva Swami is speaking now. And he says, Richasura and King Indra spoke about devotional service even on the battlefield. That's pretty amazing in and of itself. But and then as a duty, as a matter of duty, then again began fighting. My dear king, both of them were great fighters and were equally powerful. And Maharaj, please chime in like last time, just whenever you want. Oh, Maharaj Prikshit, Brichasura, who was completely able to subdue his enemy, took his iron club, whirled it around, aimed it at Indra, and then threw it at him with his left hand. With his thunderbolt named Sata Parvan, Indra simultaneously cut to pieces Brichasura's club and his remaining hand. Richasura, bleeding profusely, his two arms cut off at their roots, looked very beautiful, like a flying mountain whose wings had been cut to pieces by Indra. And uh, Prabhupada mentions, uh, that talks about flying mountains in the purport briefly. <clears throat> Richasura was very powerful in physical strength and influence. He placed his lower jaw on the ground and his upper jaw in the sky. His mouth became very deep like the sky itself, and his tongue resembled a large serpent. With his fearful death-like teeth, he seemed to be trying to devour the entire universe. Thus assuming a gigantic body, the great demon, Brichasura, shook even the mountains and began crushing the surface of the earth with his legs, as if he were the Himalayas walking about. He came before Indra and swallowed him and Arabatta, his carrier, just like a big python, might swallow an elephant. That'd be a big python. When the demigods, along with Brahma, other Prajapatis, and other great saintly persons saw that Indra had been swallowed by the demon, they became very morose. Alas, they lamented. What a calamity. What a calamity. The protective armor of Narayana. Remember, I think uh, someone, I think it was Shakshi Gopal last week, asked about that. You know, So here we're hearing about the Narayan Kavacha. Uh, the protective armor of Narayan, which Indra possessed, was identical with Narayan himself, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Pre protected by that armor and by his own mystic power, King Indra, although swallowed by Prithasura, did not die within the demon's belly. With his thunderbolt, King Indra, who was also extremely powerful, pierced through Prithasura's abdomen and came out. <clears throat> Indra, the killer of the demon Bala, then immediately cut off Brichasura's head, which was as high as the peak of a mountain. Although the thunderbolt revolved around Brichasura's head with great speed, separating his head from his body took one complete year, 360 days, the time in which the sun, moon, and other luminaries complete a northern and southern journey. Then, at the suitable time for Brichasura to be killed, his head fell to the ground. When Brichasura was killed, the Gandharvas and Siddhas in the heavenly planets beat kettle drums in jubilation. With Vedic hymns, they celebrated the prowess of Indra, the killer of Brichasura, praising Indra and showering flowers upon him with great pleasure. O King Prikshit, subduer of enemies, the living spark then came forth from Brichasura's body and returned home back to Godhead. While all the demigods looked on, he entered the transcendental world to become an associate of Lord Sankarsana. And Prabhupada's purport, 
Srila Vishnav Chakravarti Thakur explains that Indra, this is interesting, isn't it? Indra, not Britrasura, was actually killed. How's that, right? He says that when <coughs> Britrasura swallowed King Indra and his carrier, the elephant, he thought, now I have killed Indra, and therefore there is no more need of fighting. Now let me return home back to Godhead. Thus he stopped all his bodily activities and became situated in trance. Taking advantage of the silence of Richasur's body, Indra pierced the demon's abdomen, and because of Richasur's trance, Indra was able to come out. Now, Richasura was in yoga samadhi, and therefore, although King Indra wanted to cut his throat, the demon's neck was so stiff that Indra's thunderbolt took 360 days to cut it to pieces. Actually, it was the body left by Richasura that was cut to pieces by Indra. Richasura himself was not killed, in his original consciousness, Brichasura returned home back to Godhead to become an associate of Lord Sankarsana. Here the word alokyam means the transcendental world, like Kuntaloka, where Sankarsana eternally resides. So when I, when I, when I saw this um, purport, um, the thing that struck me was things aren't always as they appear to be, right? Um, it, one thing that came to my mind was, you know, how something may seem inauspicious, but it ends up being the very auspicious. Like what happened to the Advanti Brahmana in the 11th Cantor, right? It seemed like, oh my God, such a terrible thing. His, his whole family turned against him and people were ridiculing him. He was once rich and now he was poor and, and, and you know, people were, you know, desecrating him in so many different ways. Um, but that turned out to be the greatest gift for him spiritually. And there's so many examples of that in, in the Shastras. So, so when, when uh, Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur says that uh, <clears throat> Indra, not Vichasura, was actually killed, you know, what, what, what was apparent is different than what actually happens in, in kind of reality. Maharaj, would you like to comment on that? Oh. No, I'll I'll follow along for now. Then I'll I'll start commenting. All right. Okay. Okay. Any 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 questions or comments on that point, though? Well, uh, go ahead, Andy. I feel like, despite the specifics of it, uh, the purport is that actually Vitrasura won in every way. He won because of his bravery. He actually won the battle. So it wasn't like a split decision. Okay, he died, but he went to heaven. He actually won across the board. And uh, it's just showing you what he was due because of his his piety. <clears throat> mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think we're all kind of sad to see him go because we were just kind of getting used to him. <laughs> we were just uh, marveling uh, in so many ways about him, including you know that him being a so you know a so called demon and being you know a greater devotee than Indra in, in this case. You know, and showing us the path of uh, Anyabi Lashita Shunyam, of, of pure devotional service. Yeah. Now he's left us to be with Lord Sankarshan, and we, but we're still going to hear about him indirectly in uh, in his form as Chitraketu. And Suganda, who always has wonderful quotes, has put, um, "Whatever the supreme personality of Godhead does is all auspicious." Sri Krishna is our eternal well wisher, and our true friend who is always giving protection to the sincere living entities 
who takes shelter of his lotus feet from Srila Prabhupada. Mm. Thank you for that. And where's that? Do you know where that's from, Sukanda? Ishwar Yat Karoti Supan Sobhanam Karoti? Or does anyone know? Uh, yes, I'll post. It's in one of the purports. I'll post which one. Okay. Thank you for that. All right, so then we shall we move on to the next. Uh, and as it says at the end there, oops. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Uh, uh, one comment on text 23. Mm. Uh, Vritrasura and King Indra spoke about devotional service even on the battlefield. And then as a matter of duty, they again began fighting. I, I, I thought this was more relevant to... Uh, as householders who are having to do our various duties and job and so on. And normal feedback that I get is, oh, I don't find time to do devotional service. But our job is not like uh, a real battlefield. But even when they are able to do it on a battlefield, we, we can still do during the course of our uh, performance of duties and job still to find time somewhere in between to just remember about Krishna to do some devotional service. So we don't use it. So no excuses is what you're saying, basically. Yeah. What do you do, Raghunandam Prabhu, uh, to try to fulfill that, uh, what you just said? I I normally listen to audio lectures whenever I get uh, time and particularly with this COVID situation working remotely, it gives even much more flexibility to do that. And uh, we are not like always in discussions with our team members in uh, at our workplace. So it gives that option. I just play my uh, some of the audio lectures and it keeps playing in the background while I'm working. Oh, nice. Nice. Anyone else have any tricks that they use? <clears throat> well, you know, always having some, like you said, having something playing in the background, some transcendental sound vibration coming into your ear. That's the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, Henry, you're good at that also. I, I've seen, I've, I've noticed that, yes. There's one, Mataji, a disciple of uh, Radha Swami, and she always has Prabhupada chanting the Maha Mantra like 24-7, so you know, when she gets on a Zoom call, we know who it is because you hear the, the Maha Mantra. Yeah. I find that also that working from home, um, it's very easy to, well, I work for the government, take a break, pick up my bead bags, chant a couple of extra rounds, go back to work. Um, things like that are quite uh, easy to do. So thank you for that. I like the way you related the two. Anything else? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeev Tattvadas. Yes, Prabhu. So, uh, one of the things that we learn looking at Rutrasu's example is now how he is uh, aligning his prescribed duties, his Swadharma with his Sanatana Dharma, with his constitutional position. He's perfectly, you know, he's completely not on that relative platform, not seeking whether I'm going to lose or win, whether I'm going to be happy or distressed. He's rising above that platform at that absolute level and just performing his duties with his full abilities. And then, of course, he goes into the meditation and the Kali Chamameva. So at the last moment, whoever thinks of Lord Shri Krishna, he attains Lord Shri Krishna. So he's able to go back home. So those are his glories. While Indra, when he was, you know, swallowed up 
by Vrutasur. His intention was, you, I have been protected by the Vishnu Kavach. I have he, there is no mention that he remembered it, the lordship. He was completely <laughs> depending on the power that he was given. And he was using it to kill Vrathasura. And he was so uh, fearful of Vrathasura that even though Vrathasura was dead, he had already gone into meditation and he had left the body. But Indra did not want to take any chances. So he used Vraj to kill, you know, to cut off the uh, throat of Vrathasura, which took him one whole earthly year. So yeah. that also shows like he was so much on the relative platform. You know, I have to win. That will make mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And, and Richard, so, you know, you said he did his duty. Yes. And then mm-hmm. those last uh, five verses of his prayers. My gosh, they're such amazing prayers. They're, they're famous by the way amongst uh, Vaishnavas. And they're so powerful. They're really uh, extraordinary. Yes. So, Krishna Prabhu. Um, uh, yes. I have a comment. Oh, yes, Shakshi, go ahead. So my, my 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 comment came to my mind is, uh, it's purely like uh, glorification. I see that Patrasur is a hero here, even though he's a demon, he's he become a hero on the story. Like uh, uh, and then like um, he's just showed him as an actor uh, in the screenplay of the Lord Supreme's Lord, completely understanding. He did a good performance than in <laughs> yes, yes, and. Uh, and, you know, we can't, we don't want to poo-poo Indra. You know, he, of course, he seems to get in trouble in the Bhagavatam more than anyone else. But, you know, Indra's no, uh, you know, he, got, he, he was in Braj. He, he got Krishna's darshan so many times. So, but yes, and, and, and the, certainly the, the uh, difference between pure bhakti and, and, and somewhat mixed bhakti is so clear in this verse, or at least the, the you know, the, the comparison between Gritasura and Indra is a lesson for us. So shall we start the next chapter? <clears throat> I'll take that as a yes. So let me, uh, so this is King Indra afflicted by sinful reactions. We're going up to verse three. Sri Sukadeva Swami said, O King Prikshit, who are so charitably disposed when Gritasura was killed, all the presiding deities and everyone else in the three planetary systems was immediately pleased and free from trouble. Everyone that is, except Indra. Thereafter, the demigods, the great saintly persons, the inhabitants of Pitriloka and Bhutaloka, the demons, the followers of the demigods, and also Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, and the demigods subordinate to Indra all returned to their respective homes. While departing, however, no one spoke to Indra. Maharaj Pariksit inquired from Sukadeva Goswami, O great sage, what was the reason for Indra's unhappiness? I wish to hear about this. When he killed Vritrasura, all the demigods were extremely happy. Why then was Indra himself unhappy? Uh, And so in this this purport, I I was going to highlight the point about birth, uh, in different families, Prabhupada writes at the beginning of the second paragraph, herein it is clearly indicated that a person who is not at all demoniac, such as Prahlad Maharaj and Bali Maharaj, may outwardly be a demon or be born in a family of demons. Now, the, now this next sentence I, I, I find very interesting to Prabhupada's use of the word culture. Therefore, in terms of real culture, one should not be considered a demigod or demon simply according to birth. 
And then uh, at the end of the purport, one may be a Brahmana in terms of his culture and family and may be expert in Vedic knowledge, mantra, tantra, visharada. But if he is not a Vaishnava, he cannot be a guru. This means that an expert Brahmana may not be a Vaishnava, but a Vaishnava is already a Brahmana. So this comes up again and again in, in this discussions about Prithrasura. And um, it'll, it's also connected to the purport in verse 8 and 9, but we'll get to that. And, and I was thinking, in one sense, since most of us on this call, not everyone, but most of us on this call would be categorized as having a lower birth, um, there's some advantages to having a, lower, a so-called lower birth. And that, if we take advantage of it, and one would be uh, humility. To think, you know, because you can, one can be a little proud if one has uh, the name Chaturvedi or Trivedi or something after their name, and think, you know, I am a, I'm a Brahmana, and, and so for us, um, at least I can speak for myself, I, I, I have nothing to be very proud of, you know, about being born in Manhattan, and uh, <clears throat> uh, a family that uh, dietary habits were not uh, something that we want to brag about. So we don't, so, you know, there's like in everything in the material world, there's the good and the bad, right? So, so there may be an advantage to lower birth and, and if we take advantage of it in, in, in our consciousness, but certainly, uh, at least I can speak for myself again, there was very little, if any, piety there, which of course, someone who's born in a higher birth, um, it has access to. So, but this, but the main point here about, um, uh, that is just again and again, basically, you know, we could say you don't judge a book by its cover and you can't, uh, we, Prabhupada was warning us again and again to not consider Vritrasura really a demon uh, or a, a non-devotee would be maybe a better way because, he, you know, is, therefore in terms of real culture, one should not be considered a demigod or demon simply according to birth. Some thoughts on that, Abharaj? Would you like to comment on that? Well, of course, it's um, it's to be considered. The yeah, it's it's a sort of what would you say, a strong prejudice among those who who imagine that they have a higher position to want to hold on to it without qualification and um, without and without shastric support. So Prabhupada's basically smashing that position. The The other side is, of course, that Prabhupada warns us to be humble because it's not that um, by being born in a pious uh, family, one is automatically disqualified. Oh, he's a, he's just a, a, you know, a Brindavan Brahmin. He's just a Puri Brahmin. He's just a, you know, an Indian Brahmin. He's just a, um, there is some, something there, but it has to be taken advantage of. And Prabhupada's example, someone may be um, born in a family of a high court judge. So that is a leg up, as they say, to, to becoming a, a high court judge. But you have to do it. You have to go to law school. You have to do so many things. Then you may also become. Um, so it, it is, you know, then, then you're the high court judge, the son of, you know, three high court judges previously in the same family and, and all of that. But if you just become a street sweeper, then who cares that you're, 
you know, about your great heritage. That's so close. But um, I'm thinking of uh, like Karna. I, I, one thing I understand, Imar, is, is it's true that, you know, the, the heritages were very much more set in Vedic times. You know, the, um, but like Karna was, you know, even though he had the qualities of a Chachya, like, you know, in spades, as we say, he, uh, Omar is moving further away. Um, he, he, he was, you know, he was kind of considered, no, no, you can't really be part of this because of, uh, you know, people assume, uh, you know, wrong, wrongly under thinking of him, the son of a charioteer. So it seems that it seems like this, what Prabhupada is talking about in the purport wasn't so prevalent in Krishna's time. That birth was, was, such a big consideration. You were you would be more locked in that you know now what is it like in Kali Yuga? Um, there's no consideration of of birth. Everything's messed up. But in previous ages, it, it would be pretty much set. You know, you're even now you see it like you go to Vrindavan and the, the and there's some like kid who's who's uh, setting up the flowers and and. Um, flicking water on the roses to keep them uh, fresh and, do, you know, doing all the things because his father's the flower seller. So he's the kid and it's clear he's going to be uh, taking up the family business. Um, and many other things are, are like that. But in, in previous ages, it was pretty much assured that, you know, you were you were born of, a, of an exalted family and there was careful breeding and then you careful upbringing and so it was expected that you would be carrying on. Therefore, they asked, uh, Pandavas asked the, the astrologers, uh, will this boy be, you know, a, a proper uh, follower of his family, a credit to the family heritage and so on? They didn't expect that he'd become a Brahmin or that he'd become mm. a uh, something else. Um, Marshall. So the, no, go ahead. Sorry. So the observances were followed. And therefore, the offspring would, would be would be qualified. And you just have to add the final touch. You know, you still had to to uh, you know the pandavas still had to learn from a guru and and all of that. Um, and you could still become a demon or 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 nonsense. And even then, like Rishabdev, he you know some some sons were brahmins, some were Kshatriyas, like that. Um, but it was much more of a of an alignment between birth and, and qualification. In Kali Yuga, Kalo Shudra Sambhava, everyone is Shudra by birth. Right. Mars, there's a question in the chat for you. Uh, for me, I remember Gita chapter 518, the humble Brahmin sees with equal vision. Can you give an in regard to low birth. Vidya Vinaya Sampane Brahmane Gavihashtini Shuni Chaiva Shapakecha Pandita Samadarshana. The uh, Brahman, the the humble sage sees with equal vision the uh, or well uh, the self realized person sees with, with equal vision the humble Brahman and the uh, the cow, the dog, the dog eater. So he sees the equality of all living beings as spiritual living beings. 
he's not so stupid that he thinks that a, a, a cow, a dog, and a Brahmin are on the same material platform. Um, they wouldn't, in previous ages, they wouldn't elect a dog to be president. Um, the, so the, the distinctions were observed on the bodily platform and the equality was observed on the spiritual platform. And a learned person would see that the, that, that equal, equality matters more in the ultimate sense than, than the difference. But the difference does matter when you're being chased by a dog and when you're being chased by a tiger, they're two different things. Thank you. Uh, other questions, comments on this point? Um, and we can move on to uh, the next verses. We're going up till eight and nine. And we might do eight, nine, and ten together. Let's see. So text number four. Sri Sukadeva Goswami answered, When all the great sages and demigods were disturbed by the extraordinary power of Pritrasura, they had assembled to ask, they had assembled to ask Indra to kill him. Indra, however, being afraid of killing a Brahmana, declined their request. King Indra replied, When I killed Vishwarup, I received extensive sinful reactions but I was favored by the women, land, trees, and water. And therefore, I was able to divide the sin among them. But now if I kill Pritrasura, another Brahmana, how shall I feel free myself from the sinful reactions? Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, Hearing this, the great sages replied to King Indra, O King of heaven, all good fortune unto you. Do not fear. We shall perform an Ashvamedha sacrifice to release you from any sin you may accrue uh, by killing the Brahmana. The Rishis continued, O King Indra, by performing an Ashvamedha sacrifice and thereby pleasing the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the Super Soul, Lord Narayana, the Supreme Controller, one can be relieved even of the sinful reactions for killing the entire world. What to speak of killing a demon like Prithrasura? One, one who has killed a Brahmana, one who has killed a cow, or one who has killed his father, mother, or spiritual master, can be immediately free from all sinful reactions simply by chanting the holy name of Lord Narayana. Other sinful persons, such as dog-eaters and chandalas, <clears throat> who are less than shudras, can also be freed in this way. But you are a devotee, and we shall help you by performing the great horse sacrifice. <laughs> if you please Lord Narayana in this way, why should you be afraid? You will be freed even if you kill the entire universe, including the Brahmanas, not to speak of killing a disturbing demon like Brittrasur. And Prabhupada writes just after the uh, Eka Krishna Nam verse, this means that by once chanting the holy name of the Lord, one can be freed from the reactions to more sins than he can even imagine performing. Don't try to imagine that, but... (laughs) That's quite a statement, isn't it? The holy name is so spiritually potent that simply by chanting the holy name, one can be freed from the reaction to all sinful activities. What then is to be said of those who chant the holy name regularly or worship the deity regularly? For such purified devotees, freedom from sinful reactions is certainly assured This does not mean, however, that one should intentionally commit sinful acts and think himself free from the reaction because he is chanting the holy name. Such a mentality is the most abominable offense 
at the lotus feet of the holy name. Namno balad yasya ki pap bhuti. The Lord's holy name certainly has the potency to neutralize all sinful reactions. But if one repeatedly and intentionally commits sins while chanting the holy name, he is most condemned. So I thought we should uh, unpack this point a bit. Um, it's, a, it's an important point, and it should be, we should all understand it carefully. I was, I was thinking first maybe to discuss why is it considered the most abominable? What, what is it that makes it such an abomination? Marge, would you like to comment on that? What is it that makes it an abomination? Why? Well, essentially we're using Krishna's holy name as a, as a tool. We're supposed to be Krishna's servant, but then we want to make Krishna our servant and not only our servant, but our servant to facilitate um, nasty business. So how offensive. And, and not only is we're supposed to be Krishna's servant, but it's like a blessing that the holy name is, is made available to you so that you can, to us, so that we can become Krishna's servants, re, re, revive our Krishna consciousness. And then we take it and use it for that. Um, there was a... I didn't see The Exorcist, but um, somewhere I read that there's like a shocking scene there where the, this uh, possessed young woman uses a crucifix for like sexual stimulation. So, um, you know, how profane and how, how, how shocking, really. So to use the holy name of the Lord, which is given for our upliftment, uh, as a uh, facility for degradation is uh, abominable. Is there also something about um, it's kind of um, dishonesty? Uh, um, uh, dis I think cheating more than dishonesty. Um, dishonest is sort of your yeah, I guess dishonesty would be there if you're like making a show of chanting the holy name, but your purpose is something else. But it's, it's cheating. You're thinking you can get away with something. Um, I think there's an ISKCON application of this, by the way, also. Because we, you know, we, we usually think that, you know, we don't do that. Um, but I think there's a, a tendency to, to do sinful things and then think, well, because I'm a devotee, Krishna will cut me some slack. So it's the sort of, um, yeah, so it's a sort of calculation that because I can, because I'm chanting the holy name, I can do X and not get hit by the reactions. Um, Krishna will cut me some slack. Um, and so then I, I go ahead and do it. So then it's uh, performing sinful activities on the strength of chanting the holy name. So let's let's get into this a little bit more, Marge. Um, what about the difference between the sincere devotee who has trouble controlling their senses and the person who has a mentality like you're saying? And, I'm, and again, I'm thinking of that uh, verse that you and I spoke about recently in the mm -hmm. 11th Canto. 11th Canto. Yeah. Um, and then a few other, just to mention a few other things and have you comment. 
you know, Prabhupada, I, I recall saying, you know, Krishna, you know, he forgives you once, he forgives you twice, third time, hard slap, I think was the word. Mm. Um, and still we know that we know devotees who are, you know, seem really, really sincere and just struggle sometimes and feel lousy about it. They don't, you know, they're, yeah. And by the way, that, that verse has been put in the chat for those who are um, not familiar with it. So if you could comment on that, Marge, I'd appreciate it a lot. Well, it seems like it's a, a difference of mentality. They're both doing the same thing, sinful activities, and they're both chanting the holy name. But one is, is sort of um, thinking, well, this all kind of fits together. You know, I have a life that works. Um, I chant. I, I drink a little. I, um, you know. But it, it sort of all fits together. This is like I'm being honest with myself. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to artificially um, repress anything. And so it's sort of a, you know, a holistic approach. Um, so they're cheating. They're cheating. They've, they've adjusted sinful life um, with sort of the, the holy name component to, to keep it all working. Um, that's different from the person who's um, conscious that I'm doing something very wrong and I, I can't stop it. But, you know, Krishna, um, you know, I want to stop it. Krishna, please help me stop it. I've done it again, but Krishna, please help. Um, that's, that's a different kind of consciousness. Um, that's a different kind of consciousness. Not the best, certainly not, not what we've, what we're looking for, but so much better than just being um, satisfied that because I'm chanting the holy name, um, I can sort of get away with all this. And this is kind of a good time to plug your 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 talks on um, being clear what the four regulated principles are. Yeah, I'm doing a little mini seminar right now. It's um. I do an Istagosti every Thursday evening, and the present topic is what are the four rules? Um, the implicit assumption being that we don't know. So that's going on, and um, I guess I can put the the info in the in the box. Where that that would be nice, Marsh. I'm sure uh, devotees would like to uh, hear. Yes. I'm doing a Bhagavatam class three times a week and is to go see. So there's the, there's the links for both. Thank you. Thank you to will be published online someplace. I just don't know where yet. Hmm. Retroactively. YouTube somewhere, but I don't know where. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, some, some questions or comments about, about this point about, um, the, the seventh offense, I believe it is, uh, against the holy name. Sinning on the strength of chanting. What, are, what questions or comments do you have? And thank you, Suganda, for putting that quote. I just thought what uh, Maharaj just said was so illuminating because uh, that really all hangs on one word that that part you wanted to get into is intentionality. We have a pretty good idea of what sin is, but if you do it intentionally you're really in grave trouble right so you have to avoid that you have to we have to understand 
when you cross, because the repeatedly part, it says intentionally repeating, right? Most sinners, the repeating is, that horse has already left the barn. We're going to repeat, right? So it's the intentionality is the problem. And I was glad he said something about, even if you know you're repeating, you haven't necessarily crossed the line to intentionality if you're really trying hard to get away from it. I thought that was nice. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, of course we can, <laughs> I'm just thinking myself, I'm such a, uh, uh, looking for loopholes kind of person that I could like feign feeling really bad about something so that I could say, no, but I, I had the right intention. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, if, if you do want to know the, uh, what seems to be quite clear, about the proper standards of the four regular principles uh, when, when those are published, uh, available online, I, I do recommend them there. It's good, good, good for us to know. Other points on sending on the strength of chanting? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna Prabhu um, and Maharaj that like, thank you, I, I, Maharaj explained so nicely. I have a different question. Um, basically, Vatrasura got killed on the instructions of the Supreme Lord. Uh, and uh, why, um, Indra needs, needs to go and do the um, uh, sacrifices and then penances to overcome that sin. Because he's just going and doing as per the instructions of the Supreme Lord uh, in a war. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, like I understand that like across the many stories, many references, killing a Brahmana is a big offense. Uh, but like, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in Ramayana also, uh, Ravana gets killed. And uh, he's a demon. As per Prabhupada, um, like even though the, by birth they are Brahmana, if their activities are not in Brahmana category, they are not Brahmana. So I'm 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 getting a little confused in there, Prabhuji and Maharaj. Uh, if we can shed some light, clarity, that would be helpful. I haven't read much on that topic, Maharaj. You have a another thought came to my mind. So tell me again. I was thinking about the other thought. Forget. Uh, forgive me. Shakshi, you want to repeat that then? Yes, Maharaj. Uh, so, um, Indra killed as per the instructions of the Supreme Lord. Mm. And he was just following the directions of the Supreme Lord. Again, why he need to incur the sin and why he need to please the Supreme Lord? That's question one. And the question two is, Prabhupada said, even by birth, if there's a Brahmana, if he's even by Prabhupada said what? If it's by birth by Brahmana, and if he's not behaving like Brahmana, then he's not a Brahmana. He's a Sudra. Mm. So mm. Vatrasura is a demon and Ravana is a demon. And uh, why they have to do this penances? Rama also did perform some penances. I have to repeat again. You're on mute, Rajabihari. Can we just do the first question first? And yeah, that, one at a time probably yeah. helps. And that was, uh, since Indra was told or asked to do this uh, to kill Richasura and even provide, you know, the way to do it by the Lord himself. Why is he, uh, as we say in Iskand fried? Uh, well, you look what he just went through. He just realized that he'd killed, a, you know, like a Mahabhagavata. Um, so that wasn't, uh, you know, what can you say? Even um, the the Pandavas, they, they fought under Krishna's direction, but that doesn't mean they were delighted to have uh, 
killed Bhishma Dev or, 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 you know, thousands of soldiers. Afterwards, Yudhisthira was thinking, uh, I'll never get free from the sins for this. So that's the natural soft-heartedness of a devotee. Is that okay? You're, um, you don't have to mute yourself, I think, brother, because I'm far enough away. Okay, okay, good. Um, I was just, just so, you, I don't, this doesn't necessarily answer his question, but uh, I'm commenting on text 10, which we haven't read yet, but it's coming up. Srila Vishnu Chakrabarti Thakur says, but it still is a feedback, Marge. I'm going to mute you if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, sin fell on Indra when Britrasura was killed. Because of his committing sin on the strength of an atonement, the reaction was very strong. Without the suffering, the atonement could not by itself give relief. Therefore, the sages did not perform the horse sacrifice for Indra immediately. The sages, too, because they had advised Indra to commit sin on the strength of the atonement, suffered misfortune for a long time as a result of this offense, suffering that came through Nahusa, who took Indra's post. So that is what it is. Thank you. You got into mute again. You were going to say something, Jayadwita Marsh? Um, yeah, but I thought better of it. Couldn't you simply say that Indra convicted himself? That's what Maharaj said. It, despite not having the karma against him charged by uh, Krishna, he just convicted himself because he had done something very bad. And, and as Maharaj said, he, he realized, when he got the instruction, he didn't realize what a great soul Vichasura was. Right? Then when he heard those uh, prayers, he said, oh my God, <laughs> who, is this, who is this person? <laughs> Uh, Shakshi, what's the second question? Um, the second question is related to this. When, uh, as Prabhupada mentioned, even by birth they are a Brahmana. If they are not following the principles of a Brahmana, they are not a Brahmana. So, um, you know, in Vatrasura, you know, he was he was a Brahmana, uh, and like you know, he was behaving like a Brahmana, and he was a relay soul. But like in Ravana's story. He was a Brahmana, but he was not behaving like a Brahmana. But Lord Rama did perform a similar type of sacrifices um, during his death. So uh, that, that's why that's where I'm just getting confused here, Prabhu and Maharaj. Did you catch? Did you catch? So that's a, in in Ramayan, Lord Lord Ram pr- performs some yagya to atone for killing a Brahman. Yes, yes, Maharaj. Well, of course, I'm not. Give me a second to think about it. My sense is that it's conventional. Um, he may have been a demon, but he was a Brahmin, just like Draupadi is dealing with, with Ashwatthama. You know, he's the son of our teacher. He's a Brahmin. You, you shouldn't harm him. So there's a certain um, sentiment, and especially a public sentiment. The um, it was a public sentiment. So the as the king for Lord Lord Ramchandra to set the example that Brahmins have to be be respected is not wrong. 
So it's because of the external purpose. Thank you. Thank of course, you. I, you know, I, I'm not a student of Ramayana. I haven't read what the uh, what the commentators have said. That's so. This is just kind of kind of off the top. Just my thoughts about it. Um, I'm sure the acharyas must have commented on this, and I'm Thank sure I don't know what, what they've said. Other comments and questions on this? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, and then the Rupa Mataji. Danwards Maharaj, Danwards Prajwari Prabhu. So I just shared a comment. I wanted to just read it out. It is worth noting that one should not commit sins on the strength of holy name. However, even if one who has surrendered to Krishna happens to do something sinful because of his former habits, such sinful actions no longer have destructive effect. Uh, now, this is from Ajamil's pastime. Prabhupada has mentioned in purport. <clears throat> Although Ajamil engaged in sinful activities, he never chanted the holy name of Narayan to counteract them. He simply chanted the name Narayan to call his son. Therefore, his chanting was effective. So, you know, I found it interesting that, you know, we should not commit sins on strength. But this is unintentionally. He was calling to save his son. And... Uh, <clears throat> Because of chanting the holy name of Narayan in this way, he had already vanquished the accumulated sinful reactions of many, many lives. So he was a sinful man and uh, he chanted out the name of Narayan and this is what happened. And in the beginning, he was pure, but although he later committed many sinful acts, he was offenseless because he did not chant the holy name of Narayan to counteract them. So there's a subtle uh, difference I just noted and wanted to share. Hare Krishna. Thank you for thank you for that reference, Ananda Rupamataji. Other comments and questions? Marge, there's one for you in the chat. Um, could you please elaborate on the chanting of the holy name, even in ignorance? Um, yeah, but that's a whole class. Um, you know, you know what I mean? It's not like there's some question here, something's unclear, so what I comment is it's like an invitation to give a class on, on the glories of the holy name. I, I'm happy to do that, but that doesn't seem to be the purpose for which the brethren have gathered together today. Would you like to give us the sar, the essence? You don't have to, but would you like to? Well, um, the essence is that by chanting the holy name of Krishna, one can get free from more sins than one is able to commit. Thank you. That's perfect. <laughs> now, Gurudas has asked a question. We heard Gurudas yesterday. He made an offering to Satsurut Maharaj on the, uh, uh, his Vyasa Puja. Uh, so you see the last question, Maharaj? And it's not a question. It's a, con it's a comment, but... Um, Um, I think that's a stretch as far as sinning on the strength of chanting, unless I'm mistaken, this was the source of all the disturbance created by the wayward book distributors of Viscon's past who used to misrepresent and commit all kinds of offenses because it was for Krishna. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, the, first of all, the, the wayward book distributors, are sometimes over, their waywardness is overrepresented. Um, you know, they were devotees who were trying to distribute as many books for the upliftment of, of the uh, fallen souls. 
And if they sometimes said something like, well, we've been permission, we have permission to be here or uh, whatever, um, that's not, he probably himself said that's not a serious uh, consideration. Um, you know, if they, if, if on the strength of distributing more books, they were raping people or, um, you know, selling liquor or, or uh, opening casinos or something, that's different. But just that they were, um, you know, finding ways to get into venues they weren't supposed to be in or whatever. I don't see that as, as a sinful activity. It's, it's maybe illegal. It may be uh, a, uh, a misdemeanor, legally speaking, but I don't, I don't see this as the source of all the disturbance created by the wayward book. You know, I, I, I think that's putting things in the wrong frame. Uh, guilty as charged, I'm one of the wayward people. <laughs> and just see, as a, now as a result, he has to hear about all the, the, the disagreements people have among one another. I'm also one of the wayward people. When I joined, um, I was trained like that. Um, so I, uh, I greatly appreciate your correction of my oversimplification. Um, but uh, I didn't mean it in an offensive way. I, I was just reflecting on my own meager knowledge of ISKCON's history and how um, it had reached a point at, at one point where uh, I believe the GBC had decided it needed to go on a different course. Uh, I think Christian Christia decided. <laughs> the real problem I saw was not that devotees went overboard in, in book distribution, but that their leaders encouraged them to do something other than book distribution. And then it became money-making business. And then everything, you know, then the bottom fell out. Um, as long as they were distributing books, even if they were doing something, you know, bend, bending, uh, bending the rules somewhat, that's just bending the rules somewhat. But once it, it became just a money-making business, uh, beach towels and uh, records and, uh, you know, what have you, then it became very much off track because it was no longer in line with, with, the, with the purpose. No longer, you know, no longer was it there to, uh, you know, they, they took their eye off the ball, essentially. Um, the other way, they had their eye on the ball. They were just, you know, um, you know, bending the rules to hit it. But um, the, the real thing that happened is they decided that, um, you, you know, to hit another ball or, or to, you know, to, to do something else. And that's, that's where I see things having gone um, off track. The other, the other thing, well, that's just, you know, you, you, you get a minor correction on that and, you know, you fire the retro rockets a little bit, but, um, when you, when it just becomes materialistic, when it just becomes essentially fundraising business and, and you stop distributing books, that's when people's spiritual lives really, um, suffer and the public suffers because they don't get the books. 
and specifically and, he, and specifically in the little looking at it uh, from what we're studying in these past few months is we we follow we imitated one group one person in particular and and their their followers who were going waywardly and we followed their waywardness and so it, it goes back to uh you know, Mahajani Yenikatasapanta, that we have to be careful who we follow, who we uh, emulate. And I think that was a mistake that we made at that time. Yeah. Uh, anything else in the chat? No, I think they were good for now. There was another thought I had about the, because um, the question has come up, uh, where are we? But um, <laughs> I lost track. The uh, I noted that Indra is being... Um, what's the word? Falling into bad association. His associates are telling him, you know, why don't you commit an offense against the holy name of the Lord, basically? You know, why don't you commit sinful activities on the strength of a yagya? So it's um, by by the association of these um, people, he's going to do this. So you don't want to be... You don't want to be in the association of people who say, well, you know, you're a devotee, Krishna will understand. Or, uh, you know, you do so much service, it's okay for you to, like, kick back a little bit and whatever it is that's um, out of the line. Um, or, you know, we're, you know, we're just being honest. It's better to be honest. Isn't it better to be honest with ourselves than to be artificially uh, repressed doesn't Krishna say in Bhagavad Gita what will repression accomplish so if we associate with people who are encouraging us to break the four regulative principles or to act contrary to our prescribed duty um, and they're encouraging us on the basis of uh, the strength of the holy name then they're committing they're encouraging that offense they're what are they uh, accessories to the crime mm. We are so affected by who we associate with. Yeah. There, there's a saying in Portuguese, right? Uh, tell me who you associate with, I'll tell you who you are. <clears throat> I don't know the Portuguese, but... <laughs> the, um, yeah, thank you. And so if I look bright, more bright-faced than usual, it's because I spent the last three days with Jai Dwight Swami. <laughs> Okay, so let's go on. The next, the next verse, the purport talks about a lot of things that we've already spoken about, but see if we, if anyone has any questions or comments or Maharaj wants to add more to it. But this is text number 10. Sri Sukadev Goswami said, encouraged by the words of the sages, Indra killed Bhritrasura. And when he was killed, the sinful reaction for killing a Brahmana, Brahmahatya, certainly took shelter of Indra. Purport. After killing Bhritrasura, Indra could not surpass the Brahma-hatya, the sinful reactions for killing a Brahmana. Formerly, he had killed one Brahmana, Vishwarupa, out of circumstantial anger. But this time, following the advice of the sages, he killed another Brahmana purposely. Therefore, excuse me, the sinful reaction was greater than before. Indra could not be relieved from the reaction simply by performing sacrifices for atonement. What is the Sanskrit for atonement? Anyone know? Ayas Chitta. Ayas Chitta, thank you. 
he had, he had to undergo a severe series of sinful reactions. And when he was freed from such suffering, the Brahmanas allowed him to perform the horse sacrifice. The planned execution of sinful deeds on the strength of chanting the holy name of the Lord or undergoing prayaschita, atonement, cannot give relief to anyone, even to Indra or Nahusa. Nahusa was a fish officiating for Indra while Indra, absent from heaven, was going here and there to gain release from his sinful reactions. So there's so much we could talk about here. I mean, one thing, on one level, uh, a devotee doesn't care about their sinful reactions. You know, they think that that's not their goal to get rid of their sinful reactions. They, they say, oh, if I, just, if I could just chant Krishna's name purely, that's the last thing I have to worry about. You know, our, our goal is not that, which has some indication of liberation, but our goal, as we know, is Krishna Prema, Prema Pumartha Mohan. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost, it's, you know, by focusing on that, the, the devotee, at least the follower of Lord Chaitanya, doesn't really concern them so much with sinful reactions. Now we can see in the Bhagavatam and in this pastime, it's a major consideration for, for, uh, a lot of people. Um, but that is one of the, of course, the great gifts from Lord Chaitanya, that it's just not one of our, uh, it's not, something that we as Gaudiya Vaishnavas focus on much. You know, we, we know if I, you know, what is the nectar, uh, the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu nectar devotion, you clap your hands from the deities and the, uh, the lines on your hand change. <clears throat> and, you know, one Hare Krishna Mahamantra chanted in total, in complete purity, you know, and, and even if you, uh, Yani Kani Chapapani, you circumambulate Tulsi, you know, but even then, you know, the song that we sing before that is is way beyond getting free from simple reactions, the, the prayer to Tulsi Devi. So, Maharaj, would you like to comment on this point first? Anything on this point about, you know, our, as, as aspiring followers of Lord Chaitanya, how we look at sinful reactions? Well, I was thinking from the things you said, um, we sort of need to keep our uh, focus on what our, where we are and what we need to do. So uh, if I'm still struggling with the four regulative principles, but then I'm kind of like wondering whether I should be in Lalita's camp or Vishaka's camp, um, you know, something's seriously wrong. Um, something seriously wrong. And I, there, that tendency is there. Which the, there's a whole, you know, lots of sampradayas for that tendency, the sahaja sampradayas, where they mix um, essentially a neophyte level of conduct and realization with um, active aspiration for, uh, you know, higher things. And even, you know, a, pre a pretension that, that, that it's, it's already within their grasp. Um, that's not humble. So th th those thoughts are there. Uh, really sinful, getting free from sinful activities is supposed to be the what you do before you, you come to devotional service. Um, what is that? Yesham tvantakatam papam jananam punyakarmanam te dvandvamoha nirmukta bhajante 
One gets serious about devotional service after he's stopped sinful activities. So these four rules that we agree to at the beginning are basically to stop sinful activities. Prabhupada said these are the pillars. If you pull down the pillars, the whole building collapses. But if we don't pull them down, then the building doesn't collapse. And so then we go on in a sort of not so sinful, but not so sinful, a little sinful, but not too sinful. Um, and then we mix that with, you know, sort of um, desiring to, to, to ascend to a higher cruising altitude and um, you get a mess. And Marge, what about the difference? What's the difference between sin and offense, aparad and pop? Well, of course, I don't have like Acharya comments on this, just dictionary definitions. First of all, sins don't have to be directed to someone. An offense is, involves an interaction with someone. Who, you have to have someone offended. Um or potentially offended. Um, sin you can do on your own without um, dragging others into, into the drama. Um, yeah, essentially offense is something that you, where you act improperly towards others. It, it may be, and that's, you know, sinful depending on, on how, you know, how offensive you are. Um, but in, in addition to yeah, they're they're like I always get in trouble with the, with um, sort of two different tracks. You know, one thing is talk, is offense, and and the other thing is is sin. So they're two, they're just two different things. And now, how does offense? You know, it becomes a whole topic to unpack it and say how sin is related to offense, how offense is related to sin, how sin is different from offense. I think we we basically know the contours of it. Well, still, what you just said is super helpful for me. I had it just looked like a light bulb went off. Offense is to a person, whether the person is the holy name or to a Vaishnava or even Jana Aparad to a, another living entity. But it's it's in relationship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. After 40-some-odd years, that finally clicks. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Appreciate that. Other que questions or comments on, on, on this point? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeev Tattudas. Again, uh, taking shelter at the lotus feet of Krishna, we, as Sri uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has explained in uh, Sharnagati, the six limbs of surrender, we always keep that at the back of our mind. Anukulyasa Sankalpa Pratikulyasa Varjanam. So, what is favorable for our devotional service? We accept that. And what is unfavorable, we reject. So from that perspective, if you see, of course, another aspect is we have to balance, right? It's a very thin line and you can easily cross over to the other side, relative world. Is that we have to just seek our self-preservation, not go overboard with greed and lust and so many other anarthas. So, of course, with the guidance of senior devotees, acharyas, and spiritual masters, and the taking help from the scriptures, uh, we seek guidance all the time. And 
just like Maharaj explained very nicely that, you know, we have to look everything with the right perception and right understanding. And uh, so here, when Indra has been approached and he has been asked that should we perform horse sacrifice, you know, that is actually coming from senior sages, right? Means they are suggesting, they're advising him. It was on their advice that he went in battle with Vatrasura. And now they are trying to provide him atonement, but he is too proud. So that's also teaches us a lesson. We should never be too proud of ourselves because of our position so that uh, we may not follow the authorities. We may not follow the seniors and take our own whimsical suggestion because it will lead to very hard, you know, results as we'll be seeing as how Indra is, you know, running from that sin personified and uh, the personification of the Brahman sin that he committed, Hare Krishna. I was following that, but I got confused a little bit because it seems like um, the Brahmins, the lesson here is that even Brahmins sometimes give bad advice. <laughs> These are the great sages. And I was looking from the perspective of the third chapter in Srimad Bhagavatam first canto, where when uh, in actually when Sutta Goswami is listing Lord's incarnations, he says the rishis, even including Prajapatis, they are all, you know, Shaktaveshartas. They are all empowered incarnations. And of course, we have to refer to Sadhu Guru and Shastra, all three, before we make a decision. Uh, yeah, but I, I, even given that, I would wonder, you know, is, is Indra's saying, wait a second, you, you're asking me to kill a Brahmin. <laughs> Um, is that just his arrogant pride that he's saying that, or is that like his intelligence or even the super soul kicking in? Um, oh, yeah, I mean, again, there are five factors, like you just mentioned, you hinted that there are five factors for every action. So he, means again, there's no reference given, so we can't say, did he consult with Lord Brahma? Did he consult with Brahaspati? Did he consult with others? Or is it just the Brahmanas who came? So again, we do not know all that detail because this is a commentary. Uh, commentary and Padma Puran is given more elaborately. So mm. again, that's much longer study. Hare Krishna. Maharaj, were you in New York when Prabhupada was upset with the older devotees not questioning something, but he was okay with the younger devotees just following along? I, I, I don't think that's actually the narrative of what happened. Okay, okay. Well, that's the one that the that's the popular narrative. That's the popular narrative, but certainly he was quite satisfied with the devotees who, um, well, didn't trust anyone over 30, who, who, who questioned authority. Um, he didn't say, oh, you know, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that you're supposed to follow your, your senior authorities? And he's one of your senior authorities. He wrote to Gopal Krishna, he said, uh, you could not tolerate because you are a real devotee. Right. Words to that effect. Um, so, um, junior or senior, because there were senior devotees who, who questioned also. Um, but, you know, if something's wrong, you, you're supposed to know that it's wrong. Or we hope that one will know that it's wrong. Or at least if you do know that it's wrong, it's not that you say, well, yeah, but, you know, such and such senior person. Um, it, it, it gets difficult because we do give weight to the to seniority. We do give authority 
could you give that? But even about the guru, it said, you know, Karya, Karya, Janata, those verses are there, that if, if the guru loses his discrimination between what's to be done and what's not to be done, um, then one should reject him. Um, one should not follow him. Elsewhere it said um, that if you follow, the, if the guru is teaching a Vaishnava Padishtainam untrained uh, like that, if he's um, going against the, the Vaishnava conclusions, if he's um, acting sinfully and so on, then um, then he, he goes to hell and the follower goes to hell. So don't follow. Not that you say, um, well, but he's the guru, you know, in extreme circumstances, because generally we do say, well, he's my guru, but in extreme circumstances, when he's really recommending something sinful, um, then no, even Bali Maharaj, you know, told it to uh, Shukracharya, you want me to go against Vishnu? Sorry. You want me to break my word and, and, and refuse to give this to Vishnu? Nothing doing. And what happened? He became a Mahajan. <laughs> so um, there's so there's something to be said for the old 1960s button question authority. Um, we give, and there's something to be said for the other side also. We don't want just anarchy and, uh, and Vaishnav behaviors give so much importance to seniors of different kinds. But still, if something is is uh, sinful, then why should I just close my eyes and say, yeah, but the, you know, X, Y, Z senior people were, were behind it. Mm. Thank you. Other mm -hmm. questions, comments? We have one more, one more verse I want to do and one other point uh, to be made in that verse. Uh, yes. I have one comment, Prabhu. Abu. Yes, go ahead. Prabhu. Uh, with respect to the purport of text 10, it looks like uh, Indra had already committed one offense by the killing of a Brahmana Vishwarupa. And then one thing leads to the another thing. And in, so in, the, in the later time, like he is faced with the uh, situation where he has, where he is killing another Brahmana in the form of Vritrasura. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a, a chain reaction of one mistake or an offense leading to uh, leading the person to commit a further graver mistake or offense uh, later on in time. Yeah, uh, it could be. Um, you know, from my point of view, it, it seems that the first one was much worse, though, wasn't it? You know, this was like <laughs> person that they had asked to come in. You know, whereas Richard Sir was begging, "Yeah, kill me, kill me, come on, yeah. I want to go back." They got it, you know. And and Lord Vishnu was involved, and and Dadichi's, uh, but but uh, yeah. The, the, so you're saying that because he did the first sin, he it was easier to do the second? No, it, it, it leads to, basically, it leads some kind of an impression on a person's consciousness, and then they are impelled to do certain things that they don't want to normally do. And the first, even before the killing of Vishwarup, it was like the offense committed by Indra towards his uh, guru, Brihaspati, 
and then it like it just went deeper and deeper into more troubles and problems for him yeah one offense one one infraction leads to the next and it becomes like a snowball and it works the other way also that by um abstaining from sinful activities one gets strength to abstain the next time and one becomes stronger thank you so let's do this last uh, verse for today um and i think there's a good instructive point in the purport following the advice of the demigods indra killed patrasura and he suffered because of this sinful killing although the other demigods were happy he could not derive happiness from the killing of patrasura indra's other indra's other good qualities such as tolerance and opulence could not help him in his grief and then i found this last sentence to be uh significant and also something that can lead to a broader discussion therefore in spite of being king of heaven and enjoying material opulence indra was always unhappy because of the accusations of the populace so i was looking at it from different points of view the first point of view being that you know we we hear uh krishna say in the gita that you know uh is it the third chapter it's in that ver- those verses 30 to 38 i believe you know where he says you know people will ridicule you and what you know dishonor uh what is it is worse than death uh <coughs> dishonor is worse than death and then devotees read that and they always ask a question well but what does that mean i thought we were supposed to be trinata peace and ichana right and so then we have to explain the context of that section of the gita or is that the second chapter i can't you know third chapter right I'm getting my two chapters mixed up. But anyway, you you know where I'm talking this section I'm talking about. Um <clears throat> so it goes into a question of uh, well, devotee versus chatriya mentality. And then I can all and then I'll just add a third and that is in my experience both with devotees and especially with non-devotees and and something that I learned from my mentor who's not a Krishna conscious person but has actually done a lot of service for Iskon over the years um and was my mentor the ombudsman at MIT and she said that in her experience she's 85 years old and has been in conflict resolution for 50 years henry knows her well um she said that in her experience what brings out the worst in a person is when they perceive that they've been humiliated and she used the word perceived on purpose because you know humiliation is subjective in a lot of ways but when a person perceives that they've been humiliated humiliated it can often bring out retaliatory things or depress you know somebody just like can flatten someone so so we have these three things you know the the gita and you know the kind of christian uh talking to arjuna the chatriya and then the devotee who's you know uh, humbler than a blade of grass more tolerant than a tree etc and then this point about just people in general that when they perceive that they've been humiliated that it seems like that which kind of probably what's kind of indicating here in the purport that he was always unhappy and why because of accusations of the populace so the way i i i talk about this in practicality so okay you might say a devotee is supposed to be beyond that but you know in our day-to-day dealings with vaishnavas we want to be careful as much as possible to not humiliate let's say it is our service to correct someone 
it's generally advised to do that in private, for example, rather than in front of a whole bunch of other people. And, and to, you know, try to correct someone and, uh, while leaving, you know, their dignity intact. Now, I don't know how that relates to Trinatopi and, and all that, but as I'm talking now in a very kind of practical Vaishnava dealings kind of way that we want to, um, uh, be careful about, especially public humiliation of someone. And Prabhupada spoke about this when one sannyasi had trouble and with his vows and the famous statement that Prabhupada made and, and devotees were kind of gossiping about it. And, and Prabhupada mentioned how it'll be very difficult for him to return because, um, you know, the, the implication being that humiliation is a very strong thing. Uh, and, and also I find that uh, when devotees do those sincere kind of devotees that we've been talking about who struggle with some regulated principle, they are very, they find it very hard to reveal their mind to uh, devotees. They're very concerned about it becoming public and the humiliation or the, uh, the chagrin, the ashamedness, uh, being a feeling ashamed that can come out of that. And people come sometimes talk to me because they know there's an absolute promise of confidentiality. So, Maharaj, I spoke about a bunch of things there, and I'd love to hear your uh, your thoughts on the subject. Well, devotees are expert in many things, and they see things from many points of view. Uh, thank you for that. Some uh, some questions or comments on this point. Andy, you're smiling. What's on your mind? Oh, I don't know. I just, I liked his brevity. It's a soul of wit. But uh, I think offenses are the same as sin, except uh, sin is offense against divine law. And offenses are just, they can be different things at different times. Like uh, your guru could offend you, right? And then you might realize a couple of years later, well, he was actually right. You know, it made me feel bad, but but if you know your guru is sinning, that's game over. You don't need a guru to teach you how to lead you in sin. I can do that without any help. So, but offense is like uh, how you take it, like you said, like whether it offends somebody. In some places, like, uh, like in the Middle East, the shoes are a big thing. If you toss a shoe at somebody, oh, it's such a great offense, right? You know, whereas where I grew up, if you threw a shoe at me and it's not that hard and it didn't hit me, I'm... It's like nothing, right? So offense is what you make of it. But a sin is against divine law, and it's well, very serious. Well, that's interesting, I think, because um, I'm glad you brought that up because we use the word differently in different contexts. You're saying, you know, offense as in I take offense. Yeah. And we're kind of using the, the Sanskrit word aparad that are, you know, there's these specific 10 offenses against the holy name, you know, which are, you know, not so, they're, they're more of a, brick wall objectivity than the subjective thing that, well, I don't take offense that you throw an issue at me. So thank you for kind of uh, letting us look at it from different points of view. From another point of view, offense is worse than sin. Yeah. We'd, be, we'd be better off sinning than offending, you know, a, uh, a great Vaishnav. Huh. Easier to forgive sins than to forgive an offense at the mm. feet of a great Vaishnav. Thank you. The conclusion is we should avoid sins and offenses. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good conclusion. Uh, other thoughts, questions? We have a couple minutes. 
Okay. Well, it's it, um, uh, this was we want to uh, show our deep appreciation for uh, His Holiness Jayadwita Maharaj for giving us his association today. We're very thankful, Maharaj. And next week we will. Um, I don't think there's any purports that we'll be studying the rest of this chapter. So we will go through those verses and then we will start with uh, King Chitraketu's Lamentation. And it's just such an amazing canto, isn't it? It's just an amazing canto. Marj, okay, maybe as a last thing, uh, I don't know if you were involved in this, but I remember as a book distributor, we used to mainly distribute the mass ones were one, Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, the first part, second canto, the first part, and sixth canto, the first part. Was that a instruction from Srila Prabhupada about the sixth canto? No. Um, no. It was, um, you know, first of all, of course, it has to do with the the economics of printing. If you print large runs, you get big discounts um, or you get lower prices. Um, so they, trustees, well, Ramesh Ramesh figured it would make more sense to print um, some titles in, in large quantities. And um, in consultation with the book distributors, I think they've decided which titles to print more of. He consulted me once about Upadesh Amrita, Nectar of Instruction, when it first came out, or before it first came out. Do, um, you know, is this one of the books that we should be really publishing in large quantities? Um, or is this more for, you know, the devotees and other interested persons, in which case, you know, 5,000, something like that. So considering sort of the elevated nature of the topics, especially toward the end, I said, well, it seems like it goes in the latter category. So then uh, they printed five or 10,000 and Prabhupada thanked them for the book and said, but why only 5,000? You should print 100,000. This should be published. This should be distributed to every student in the colleges and universities. <laughs> so at that point, I gave up giving advice about <laughs> Hopefully they didn't say, uh, oh, we asked Shaitweta. <laughs> I think they did, but um, or maybe they didn't. On other such occasions, that did happen. You know, they, <laughs> my advice, it turned out to be not what Prabhupada wanted. They'd say, well, yeah, okay, you know, I don't know why Jaitweta, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> yes. I someone, guess that was my service. If, someone, by the way, put in the chat that the core of his attempt to publicly humiliate Chopadi was... Pivotal. So yes, yeah. another. Yeah. Yes. Well, again, thank you very much, Maharaj, and thank you everyone for being on time and participating so nicely. We'll send out the homework, and we are, you know, marching on towards the end of the sixth canto. So thank you, Hare Krishna. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you.